Plenty of time for Stroud. Directing receivers, flips it to the end zone, caught, touchdown! Marvin Harrison Jr. making a huge impact. Milton taking a shot downfield, he's got a man open, and it's into the arms of Squirrel White. Nix, pump fake, takes off, out of the clear, Bo Nix, there he goes, he won't be caught, he's done it again! Uh, hello everybody, how's it going? This is Chris from Burning the Red Shirt. Uh, a little rusty as Andrew led the way last week with uh, franchise talking ACC and what was one of, in my opinion, one of the more entertaining episodes. So if you uh, want to, if you haven't checked that one, I'll do that already. Uh, do that. Um, and then check out this one, the Conference USA preview with Joe from the CFF site. We were man- uh, we managed to lock in the better looking, the smarter version of the CFF site. So appreciate you hopping on, Joe. Uh, how's it going? How's uh, how's the offseason treating you? I mean, you guys have been pretty busy over there, right? Man, doing good. Uh, Chris, Andrew, always good to to see and talk to you guys. Unfortunately, we don't get to do it enough. But yeah, um, I mean, Mike and I have been, look, even though, even though my buddy Mike's probably on his 82nd draft so far in, in you know, this calendar year, uh, look, man, it's been a lot of work for us. April, May is always super busy to get all the preseason content ready. And this is the time where we, we don't necessarily take a deep breath, but we can kind of sit back a little bit and start making our updates here throughout the summer. All the major stuff's done. We've got the preseason fantasy draft guide now in its 10th year. All the preseason projections are up. All of the preseason content at the CFF site is live, ready to rock and roll. And man, it's just nice to finally get behind a microphone, a camera again, bring some energy for college fantasy football, bring a voice, appreciate everything that you guys do. And so, you know, to come over and, and hop on one of you guys shows, um, you know, I, th- this is the fun part for me. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, uh, if you have not checked out the guide, you got to do it before the season and earlier, the better gives you more time to get through it. it. It's a pretty deep, intense look, pretty entertaining in terms of the different sections for sure. Um, I have purchased it. Andrew, I'm going to put you on the spot. Have you purchased it? You, you know, I you know I live in that Discord. Even if I'm like, even if I'm soaking in everything that's going on there more than anything else, um, the I I extract so much value out of the Discord that like the the nominal fee or whatever you guys charge is whatever. Michael hit me up. He'll be and be like, "Oh, did you read this? Did you read that?" I'm like, "Not re- no." I mean, I I personally like like to do so much of my own research um and i'll like th- there's definitely aspects of the guide that i like i lean on heavily um like the, the o-line stuff i need that as a data point because i i'm like there's no way i'm gonna go and aggregate all that stuff myself and um so that's that's huge for me and then especially like when we get into some like deeper in the summer conference only type best balls. I like Jared runs. I need to be coming through the guide for the depth charts to figure out who the wide receiver four is on some of these teams and shit. But um, the discord itself is worth whatever the, the, the cost of it, of admission admission is. Uh, so I, I can't, uh, I can't live without that uh, off season or in season. Yeah. The conference USA especially is like wild looking at the depth chart. 
Uh, yeah. Joe, I was, I think I was about to cut you off. What's going on? What were you? No, no, no. I was just going to say, you know, it, it's interesting, Andrew, that you bring that up because, you know, the reason why we started the site in 2011 now, right? So it's going on, we've been, been around for a while, was just the thought of just average college fantasy football enthusiasts, try to give them a resource. It's, you know, especially if you play full FBS. But to your point, you know, there are some guys that come in and, do not even realize what the discord is. And I've got to talk them into getting in there. So there's value in the discord. There's the casual fans that, Hey, look, you're saving them a ton of homework time. They lean on the guide in the preseason. And then of course, you know, during the season and some of the DFS guys, you've got the projections up there that help help a lot too. So any form of college fantasy football, I think we've got pretty well covered, but Andrew, to your point, depending on what you're looking for, um, you know, we just try to make it affordable for everybody to come on in. And it is really one big college fantasy football community. And if you're not in the discord, uh, it's definitely a great place to be and find out a lot of good, useful information throughout the season. Even, even if you're a college fantasy, even if you're just a college football fan in general, um, it's nice to get in there and just kind of talk college football with a lot of guys. So, yeah, I think one thing with uh, college football is with so many teams, there's the great thing about the discord is that like you have one or two guys that are known for knowing about Oregon or UTSA or something. Right. And they can give you tidbits and information that nobody else can. Right. Like it doesn't matter how much research the three of us do on Jacksonville state. There's a Jacksonville state alum somewhere that has an in that has some sort of connection to be able to give you some yeah. uh, added info. And, and you don't get that in the guide, which is totally fine, but you, get it crushed you know it's everywhere in the discord which is awesome so talking conference usa let's get this rolling a little bit uh, joe you've kind of dug in already you did the guide with mike so i'm sure you've you've done pieces there you've talked about doing some conference preview stuff before the show so from a maybe fancy aspect or just a general conference usa football aspect what is it kind of your take uh on this conference going into the season you know, I, I didn't say this when I was talking to Mike, but the more I look at this conference now after the fact, uh, it's starting to remind me a little bit now of the MAC, right? You've got a couple of new teams in there in Sam Houston State and Jacksonville State that, that are new to the FBS. There's not a ton of defense in this conference. You know, you're looking at teams like FIU, which was really poor last year. Um, and you just wonder if they've got a real, you know, a good shot to, to hopefully score some points. You, you, you look around up and down this conference, there's really no defense. And the really the one thing that stands out to me is that it just feels like Western Kentucky is just going to dominate this conference. Yeah, I um So some some of like the, the high level things that I think. I think when I think about conference USA, so. I brought this up to Chris or reacted to like when Chris was looking over the conference. It, I think it's hilarious that there's nine teams that they they can't play a full slate of conference play any week. They've got to have either an out of conference game or someone on a bye. Like you're never going to get a full slate of conference USA play any given week. No. This is also the conference, right? I think it's this year where they start playing games on like Tuesdays or Wednesdays, all of October, like all the games I think are, um, are all the conference games I think are Wednesday nights in October starting this year, which is like, so we're, everyone who's, uh, especially from a DFS perspective, like they're going to be mainstays in our life for, uh, yeah. for that entire month. So that's like, whether or not you want to 
like go out of your way now to to make them a part of your life they're coming to you and then also so you brought up western kentucky you can find their win total at uh either eight and a half or eight at right now and eight and the eight and a half is juice to the under the eight is a little juice to the over i've been like i've been considering putting some money on over eight for them just because i don't like i don't i don't see how that team only wins seven games um, they've got a couple tough games on their schedule off the top of my head. Like, yeah, they have Ohio State. And then I think, do they get Troy or am I making that up? Um, they have one other game where I was like, I was like, oh, that's like tricky. And then like, yeah, they get Liberty, but like, I don't know where, where are the five losses possibly coming from on that schedule? Um, so they, they do play at Troy at Ohio okay. State, South yeah. Florida to open the year in Houston Christian, which is, I think, a, a fun ode. To, the uh, Houston Baptist re, they're rebranded, if you will. <laughs> rebranded, um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. It is a fun ode to uh, to how they kind of copped uh, Zappy and and all the, all those guys. But yeah, that that they are definitely like the cream of the crop within Conference USA. It's weird seeing their win total kind of deflated, in my opinion. Yeah, this is an interesting conference for me because it feels like there's maybe six or seven. Like when Jared does these conference drafts, like this is going to be a miserable one because like no. you're just operating off of knowing six players and then you're just kind of guessing who is going to be like the guy. Like there's there are some interesting names and some throwbacks. Like Grant Gunnell is in this league. Uh, <laughs> Jamari Joyner, who is someone that I like rostered five years ago at Arizona. So you get some interesting Wait, names what for sure. What's he on there? He is on uh, Jacksonville State oh. in the presumed receiver one per CFF site. So it is an interesting <laughs> group of people. Zion Webb is their quarterback, and he's like Frank Harrison that he's. So let's like just start, let's start off talking about them. They're like one of them. They're they're fun for so many reasons, right? Rich Rod's there. Um, I <clears throat> from a I've already started kind of taking. Logan Smothers in dynasty leagues, not necessarily thinking like it's definitely going to be him this year with like, I kind of figured Webb would likely get the waiver with it being the NCAA and and whatnot. But like, I, I think Smothers is perfect for a rich, rich rod system. Like we've seen him kind of cameo at Nebraska. He almost beat Iowa uh, that one year. Um, But that is a a dream match, I think. Uh, So even if it's not for this year, like Jacksonville State, who knows how long Rich Richrod's there, but I, I feel like he's probably not getting his name called to the Power Five um, immediately. Um, Joe, what are your what are your thoughts on that team? I, look, we all know Richrod. Um, yeah. If, if there's one thing we know, we're looking at that quarterback and we're looking at the running back, right? But to your point, I, I don't know if this year's really oh. going to have a ton of value. Now, we mentioned I, I mentioned at the top of the show that this is a conference where they're probably isn't going to be a ton of defense. So if they can manufacture some things, I think you could be looking at a value level, you know, with Webb at quarterback there, or maybe somebody like Anwar Lewis or um, Malik Jackson uh, at running back. You know, you could th- maybe one of those guys pop. But to your point, how long will Rich Rod be there if there is some success, right? And I, I don't know, you know, first of all, I don't know if Jacksonville State comes in and just blows things up, right? So I think you're probably looking at him being there. My guess is if I had the ballpark it right now, you're probably going to get at least two to four years with him at Jacksonville State because to your point, I don't think the P5 is going to come knocking on his door. Um, 
But other than that, I'm not really looking at anything in this offense. There's just the potential for maybe the quarterback and running backs. The, the two positions traditionally we've always loved in a rich rod offense. Whether or not they're going to do it this year, I'm not sure. But how they kind of how they look this year may be telling. Who knows if some youngsters on the roster that kind of emerges in the second half of the season, right? Is it and we know that, that we just mothers are sitting back there behind behind Webb right now. So do you point? Yeah, you've got him as well. Is it possible that Rich Rod just stays there as a like a lifer? Like what? What he's sixty <laughs> years old. What is what's his next move? Right? Like if you're another. G5 team that's obviously better than Jacksonville State. Like, what is what are you gaining by hiring Rich Rod? Like, three to five years? Any like some potential sketchiness? Like, I don't know. It feels like that it's possible he could just be there eight to 10 years and then call it quits. Yeah. So. I mean, look, he was at Arizona, right? I mean, Arizona wasn't exactly the upper echelon of performing P5s when he was there. But to your point, where do you go? I mean, <laughs> I mean, does he have it in him one more time to try to, you know, does he want to try to do it one more time? And is someone willing to take a chance on it? I, I think that's the big question. I don't, I don't know. I, it, it's, I, I feel like he's at a place right now where if he finds some success, he may be a little bit more comfortable hanging out there for another three to five years before he goes somewhere. I mean, look, he was the OC at UL Monroe. So UL Monroe to Jacksonville state isn't exactly uh, crushing it on the resume to move up. And he I was forgot in, he was at uh, he was at Monroe and Malik Jackson was there with him too. Yeah. So I guess there's that connection. Um, I don't know anything about the other running back that you mentioned. Is that I assume that guy's a running back, Mr. Lewis? Yeah. Jackson. We him, yeah, we have him pegged at running back one right now. A yeah. lot of it's just coming out of the spring. You know, things are a little tougher on the depth chart um, front nowadays than it was just a couple of years ago, you know, Mike and I just had this conversation on, on one of the shows we just did. It used to be where we, we could, you know, the season would end and you'd get a few transfers announced and they'd settle in. And then April camp starts spring practice takes place. We get all of our preseason content ready and you might have one or two people that's not settled. You're waiting for them to land. But for the most part, everything's pretty static and, and holds true throughout the summer. That just isn't happening anymore. I mean, there are moving pieces all throughout the year with the transfer portal. Um, these guys getting instant eligibility. It is not. I mean, we just had a player. Uh, you know, we've had a couple of players that have transferred in other conferences just in the last couple of days. So. There's moving parts and pieces all over. Guys jumping in from the JUCO level. Freshmen's coming in that you have to keep an eye on. And the one thing that I noticed is you've got sites, some of these sites like the 24-7s, the on-3s. There's so much so many transfers going on that they don't even have them all tracked. Uh, it's wild out there right now. I hear you. One thing about this conference besides Western Kentucky, which I think we could talk for a long while with, is the super intriguing uh, change of Jamie Chadwell to Liberty, the connection of uh, Kadon Salter and Andrew's love of 2022 with a, with a coach that created, if not was a part of that creation of like one of the most efficient college football quarterbacks of like the last 20 years in Grayson McCall. Is, uh, is Chadwell like the missing piece? Andrew to getting Salter over the edge or was it inevitable? Will we look back and say it was Chadwell or just, it was always going to happen with Salter. I was very hopeful. I think when 
Chadwell initially uh, went over to Liberty. But I'm getting sketched out. I, I mean, I'll still fire a dart here or here or there late, late in best ball drafts. But when you think about trying to comp Salter to Grayson McCall, okay, they're both athletic. But the, the, I think the things kind of end there. You talk about how efficient um, McCall is. You look at Salter and every, all the vibes you kind of get are like, this kid just kind of free freewheels everything, freelances everything, like, and Salter didn't seem like he was really able to pull away from Jonathan Bennett at all. I, you weren't hearing like a ton of positive things this spring uh, about either quarterback. Um, it does seem like it's just the two of them, right? With Trelo and uh, the other kid, and I think Nate Hampton kind of chilling in the background. So it's not a bad coin flip, right? To, and if it lands Salter, then there's huge upside there, but I mean, you'd like to have seen him kind of ascend uh, from the fray in the spring. And that didn't really happen. Knowing what we know of the offense, Joe, what position there or what guy there do you like the most, if any? Well, there's, there's one that I think I like the most. And I think that's Quentin Cooley, the, the, the running back that came over to Wake Forest, right? We know that Jamie Chadwell, he runs a two back system and he, you know, there's, there's, a back that is quote unquote the dive back and a back that they use more in the perimeter as, as he did at coastal. Right. Um, sometimes you get lucky enough, like a CJ Marable and you've got a guy that can do everything. I don't think they have that th this year, but Quentin Cooley was getting rave reviews in the spring. You had day day Hunter. He transferred out of there. That really kind of opened some things up as well. And then you've got the youngster Vaughn blue. I'm kind of keeping my eyes on him. I think there's a lot of interest in him as well. Uh, the freshman. So there's likely going to be a lot of work with two backs in this system. And to your point on, on quarterback, Andrew, yeah, yeah I, what I, I think what all of us really would have liked to have seen is if Salter wouldn't have gotten injured last year. I think he's got off to a promising start, but we haven't really seen anything that, that convinces us that, he, I mean, look, it, He's not Grayson McCall. I, I don't. I don't believe he is right. And there's not enough. There's not a big enough sample size for us to even make that that comp right now. But the potential's there athletically. But the other thing that's interesting too is that C.J. Daniels comes back at receiver for Liberty. Uh, for Liberty, and I, we have him projected at wide receiver one. If you look at Coastal when Chadwell was there over the last three years, maybe even four, I forget the statistic, but I think their wide receiver one has caught a minimum of 60 passes and 990 yards for three consecutive years. If there, it's the same coaching staff, same system. If Salter can be, or they, you know, whatever, whoever they land on at QB one is efficient enough to get the hand the ball in the hands of the receivers and they really use that running game to set some things up in the passing game. You're looking at possibly CJ Daniels if if he indeed is that wide receiver one, 60 plus receptions, 900 plus yards and and you know who knows, maybe you know the touchdowns could be variable, maybe anywhere from 5 to to 8, maybe 9 touchdowns. So I from a, from a from a from a 10,000 foot level of looking at the Liberty offense, that's how I kind of see it going into this season. The, um, the Daniels. Go ahead, Andrew. Oh yeah, I'm with you on Daniels. I've been thinking about like thinking about trying to grab him at, late in a best ball draft. It was 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it was just unannounced <clears throat> that all of a sudden he was back from his ACL tear, and then he's throwing a passing touchdown in the bowl game, like out <laughs> of nowhere. Um, but, yeah, he's been on, on my radar a, a little bit. I didn't quite make the connection until you guys put it out there about the, like, oh, exactly how much of a target share the wide receiver one in this offense gets. So, but just the idea of him kind of been like the whole lost year yeah. in 2022, we saw how promising he was in 2021, new offense coming in. Yeah. He averaged 17 yards a catch, uh, caught seven touchdowns that year. Yeah. 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 So I, th- I think it's a good call out. The receiver situation definitely is intriguing because of, of what Joe mentioned. Um, and it's just very interesting because without Demario Douglas, there's kind of like this gap just in general of receiver one. And then last year, all they really did besides Douglas was just share the wealth to everybody. So like, there's no, it didn't feel like there was like an automatic for sure, but Daniels definitely seems to fit the mold. Joe, you mentioned heavy target share for receiver one, very profitable, at least like at cost. I remember seeing Pinkney was a guy that I liked last year in best balls. He didn't blow anything up. He didn't, he wasn't crazy but getting him where I was drafting him felt and ended up being a pretty decent value. What about tight end? Is this a situation? I mean, we've seen some super successful tight ends at coastal. I feel like, is there a guy on the roster that can be 75% of uh, a likely tight end, or are we just going to have to wait until Chadwell gets his type of tight end in first before we see some production? Yeah, I, I think it really depends on it. And look, the situation last year over at tight end at Coastal wasn't great either. I think the top tight end had Xavier Gravette might have had like 20 catches last year. Right. But you're also looking at, a, a you know, this, you know, the season before when they had Isaiah, uh, Isaiah likely. Right. And so you're looking at an NFL drafted player there. And, you know, you start to wonder as we get a little bit, you know, now that we're going to be two years away from likely whether or not it will just be the 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 talent of likely that won out and that's the reason why he was so dominant um statistically and quite honestly was he real i mean let's be honest he was really just their 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 wide receiver too in their offense you know with with highly and likely so i, I you know i don't know if i really have a clear cut answer on that because i'm still up in the air on whether a player like uh, likely was just sort of that one-off talent and and he's um you know kind of broke the mold a little bit or are we gonna you know is it just gonna be just business as usual last year where maybe they find a way to get a, you know use some of that receiver depth because they're definitely more you know they definitely have more depth at receiver right now than at least proven tight end I think that's probably a good good call I mean nobody recognizes these names anyways right like when looking at your dev chart so like you know, am I really going to take a, a shot on maybe like super late or something in a crazy tight end premium? Yeah, and, and you look when you're going from Liberty, I mean, when you're going from Coastal to Liberty, the system will probably, you know, the system will probably travel well, but they've also got to shape things to the roster too, right? And so right. you just, like I said, I, I don't know if they really have anything proven at tight end, whereas we know they at least they have some depth there. At receiver, I mean, you got CJ Daniels, Noah Frith. I mean, CJ Yarbrough, who was like, uh, you know, supposedly had a ton of hype a couple of years ago. He leaves and comes back. Errol Rogers, who I believe was a transfer from Louisiana. So they at least have some numbers there at receiver. Yeah. So Day Day Hunter was this really great asset for Liberty last year. He's in the porters portal still. 
we've seen some weird portalness. Andrew, is your are your spidey senses saying or thinking that he comes back to Liberty, or is that? Did you see like, the on three article about him? I did not. Oh yeah, they like interviewed him and stuff. There's the main takeaways seem to be he needs to apply for a waiver, and it's like it's similar to the dude from Arkansas State, where it's the tight end, where it's like, all right, you're transferring twice. Um, like back to back, you don't, you're not a grad transfer. Um, so it's like, even who knows, maybe he gets it, but it's like blatantly like right in, in red ink is like, do not give this dude immediate eligibility, but it's the NCAA. So who knows? Um, if he comes like, back though, wouldn't he? Would if you go in the yeah, portal yeah, and you come back, back, does that count as a Yeah, they asked him or? about, they asked him about that too. And, uh, he was like, he basically, I think he basically said like, I'm, I want to rule it out, but probably not, uh, type deal. They listed at a couple of schools he was considering. I forget what they were. Um, uh, but I don't know. It feels like maybe like a 25, 30% chance coming back type deal. I didn't realize how productive he was last year at Liberty. Um, but like he, he kind of crushed it, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm some fairly limited touches, I, I believe. So I, I, people were very uh, interested to see where he ended up, but I just, you wonder sometimes why people enter the portal and then not realize the rules, you know, like he has to get a little bit of a, I mean, anything can absolutely anything can happen, but it feels like the, a little the thing that's interesting maybe. about Hunter is that he felt like the type of back that could do he, you could have put him anywhere in that offense. He could catch the ball at the backfield. He could, you know, be the dive back. He could be the guy that, that kind of gets on the perimeter too. I felt that the, it was a good fit for him. Um, but look, we, we're not in there. We don't practice. We don't watch spring, too. And I, I happen to believe that some of these players leave. You know, they see these guys that are doing really well getting talked up. And maybe there's just a fear of competition for some of these players. I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the transfer portal has certainly um, – or it seems like it's just raised the level of just like, let me get out of town and get somewhere where I know I can get some sure play in time. And it's really strange dynamic where guys just don't want to seem to stick it out and really challenge for play in time much anymore. At least that's the perception of what the portal has created. It's, I mean, especially with Hunter being what felt like or what feels like such a good fit. At yeah. Liberty in that offense. It was, it almost feels like a, perfect replacement of the guys that he had at coastal so andrew i've kind of guided today's shift so far of discussion so who, who's top of mind to you that you really want to make sure we we cover with yeah, yeah yeah i want joe's thoughts on what's going on with middle tennessee this year because they last year they brought in a new offensive coordinator i forget i forget he, he came from that fcs school that put up like 60 points on florida um, a couple of years ago, and I, I started their defense in Florida's defense in a in a playoff game, and that went really well. Um, but then I'm, that transition went okay because they had uh, that dude Cunningham at QB, and like right. he can kind of sling it around. But I, I've my recollection is that I have real question to, to I have real reason to question the the arm of that guy whose name I can't pronounce Nick Vieto or whatever his name is. And beyond him, like I have no idea what's going on at quarterback. It seems like there's not really much question of what, who it's going to be at QB. It's going to be Vieto. Right. But the, I feel like when we've seen him get into games, like I, it, the numbers just haven't been great. So I, like, I don't know. I don't like to put too much stock into 
a guy who just kept, kind of gets thrown into the fray and maybe hasn't been getting first team reps and how that plays out. But just um, I like last year it was awesome taking Jalen Lane and Cunningham at the end of drafts, knowing I was going to get uh, the wide receiver one QB in an offense that was probably going to throw it around 40 times plus. But I don't know what to expect uh, this year, and I have have hesitancy just based on how I feel about their quarterback and Lane transferring uh, to Chris's school, one of Chris's schools, Virginia Tech as well, gives me pause with the receiver room. Are you just kind of Frank peasant and log out, or where are you at with Mel Tennessee? It feels a little messy right now, and you know, let me just bring these points up because Mike did did a little digging, and and he brought up a good point, and that you know, last year's pass rate was the lowest for a Mitch Stewart led offense last year, and he was at Middle Tennessee, and then they lose their quarterback and their two top receivers, right? So you wonder now if that's trending in a direction where maybe they become a little bit more dependent on the run, right? You've got Frank Peasant there who quite honestly was a peasant last year for a lot of college fantasy football owners because he was either through the roof. Um, and I think I noticed looking back and, and I don't remember the, the statistic, but I want to say he had four or five sub 40 yard rushing games too. Right. So it was almost like when they made a conscious effort to use him, he was spectacular, at least great value for fantasy. But yet there were days where it was like, man, you just, you know, you wish you never had him on your roster. And so those are the guys that really scare me. I think they're more best ball candidates than than traditional league format where, you know, I want somebody that's going to give me consistent, even though he may not give me 160 and three touchdowns every week, but, you know, give me that 125 to one to two touchdowns over that guy that has potential to run for 284 touchdowns and then next week run for 35 yards and catch one pass, right? So, uh, but to answer your question, it's just messy for me right now. I like peasant as sort of the, the, um, yeah, if I was going to say the best buy in that offense right now, you know, maybe two B, you know, one B would be Nicholas, you know, Vadiato, the quarterback, but, and this was something and I talked about, I don't know if that's how you say it, but I'm guessing that's how you say it. Um, Sounded good to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you're also looking at projected right now. We've got DJ England Chisholm at wide receiver one, right? And there's just not a lot of wide receiver, you know, proven wide receiver depth. And you're looking at us projecting a five foot seven, 160 pound <laughs> wide receiver at wide receiver one. It just doesn't feel right to me. So I, I just think things need to unfold for Middle Tennessee. And if I'm landing on one player and rolling the dice right now, it's got to be Frank Peasant at running back. Yeah, that definitely feels like the safest move. And he's not even that expensive in terms of like best ball mm -hmm. drafts and things like that. And uh, your point on Chisholm is hilarious because there's not a lot of five, seven receivers that are receiver ones. And I may have been giving them, I may have been giving them five pounds. I was just trying I, to remember. I just did a quick uh, ESPN search. He's at 150. So I think you gave him a few. You wait, you wait him after a few cheeseburgers. So. I did. 570, <laughs> uh, 150. You're right. Yes. I think there's one other 5'7 receiver, one in college football, and he's in this conference. Can you guess who I'm talking about, Joe? Other 5'7 receiver? Yeah. I think he's 5'7, or he's, he's got to be super close. 
Ooh, wow. Uh, he's been in the news. I mean, he's this is a pretty Tyron isn't that small, is he? He's five seven. I just looked five seven and that's Tyron Smith, huh? 170 pounds. Huh. Not sure. I didn't realize he was that that uh quaint sized. He is an interesting yep, yep, guy. That's right. five, yep, Tyron Smith, 5'7", 170. Yep. He's an interesting guy because he's got two years of eligibility left for sure. And <laughs> at UTEP, I mean, he was – he pretty much – I said something the other day to some of the uh, Campus to Canton guys. Tory Horton had like 100 more yards than uh, Tyron Smith did last year and like a couple of touchdowns. But I feel like we're acting like – there's a huge gap between those two. Joe, in terms of just generally speaking with Tyron Smith, or and then maybe if you want to kind of compare them in terms of where you would take Horton and him, like what are what are your thoughts on Tyron Smith? There are years when I do projections. Mike's the same way because we talk about this, where we project guys and they come out so high – and you look at the name and the team they're on, and you're like, there's no way. I remember before Mike and I were even working together at the CFF site, the days of Andy Isabella over at UMass. And I remember calling Mike, and I said, Mike, this guy projects as like my top five receiver. There's just no way Andy Isabella is going to be that good. And uh, sure enough, Andy Isabella was – you remember that year he had? It was phenomenal when he was – um uh, over at UMass. Tyron Smith is one of those players that projects out well. And I think we have him ranked appropriately, but I just, I look at him on UTEP and I just think, man, because I remember there was at the beginning of, of our projections, we had him top 10 receiver from a number standpoint. And it's just, he's one of those guys where he projects top 10 to 12 numbers. I have a problem drafting him inside my top 12 to 15. Um, but sometimes that's where how I find the value in some of these players because sometimes other people see the same thing. And my sometimes I, I have a tendency to sometimes lean on my numbers. But when from a pure potential fantasy potential standpoint, he is going to be the clear wide receiver one in this offense. And there's no reason to suggest that he won't be able to match what he did last year. So um, it's it's really odd that that happens with some of those players, but he's one of them. Andrew, tell me why. What's your feeling? Are you, you pro-Tyron Smith or are you anti-Tyron Smith or are you just going to stay in the middle and probably not have any of them? I, I like Tyron Smith, uh, probably now relative to Torrey Horton, just because I think that it is He doesn't reasonable. play for Colorado State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think well, I think it's reasonable to kind of carbon co- carbon copy the U- UTEP offense from 2022, 2023. We're like really not much has changed at all, but I expect a lot of ascension with in terms and progression. Progression's a better word, I guess, for Colorado State. And I don't think that Tory Horton's share of the pie is going to get too much smaller. I think he's still going to get like a, just a ton of talk. A ton of targets, a ton of uh, really hard target share, but I think that they're just going to be able to run their offense um, a lot more and a lot more effectively at Colorado State. So when I think, like, 
I think the idea generally of just kind of leaning on prior season's numbers to inform the upcoming season is a trap a lot of times. Um, so, so where, like, I don't think that just looking at how Tyron Smith did last year, right, and kind of thinking of relative to his peers and thinking about that should inform where we, we should draft him is what I want to be doing. But I like Tyron Smith um, for all the reasons that we kind of just talked about. Um Clear number one in the offense, uh, th- and that offense it really just kind of feels like all right, um, do do some running type stuff, and then hit Tyrant on a on a down the field um, a little later, and kind of hope that works. Uh, so, I, mean, yeah, I, I think what I like are- about yeah, I, I think what's appealing about Tyron Smith, and then is that I feel like in that offense, to your point, Andrew, is that there just feels like you know you're probably going to get your four to six catches every week. He's going to have a big one, and you've got potential for a touchdown. He did have one um, multi-touchdown game last year, and he only had four catches in that game. So he feels more likely to be the guy that give you the 85 to 100 yards and a touchdown, whereas Horton in that Colorado State offense, you kind of get the feel, you know, he might be able to give you 150 and two scores any given week, and I don't necessarily think we can say that about Tyron Smith. Very eloquently put. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a reason why. I think the gap is like basically Horton's a top 15 pick and Tyron's closer in like the fifth to sixth round now that we know for sure that uh, mm-hmm. he's back at UTEP. Yeah. It's not often you see a, a five foot seven guy lead your team in touchdowns, but like I think there's a lot of comparisons that make sense between the two. Like the only difference between Colorado State and UTEP is that people like the coaching staff at Colorado state. Like there's a little bit more of like some, some previous year success, but like I could see Clay Millen be continue to be as average to bad as possible. And like Gavin Who, Hardison could well, completely do that. Are you going to derail this entire conversation now? Who yes, was the so. nation's leader in completion percents last year? We're not Clay Millen throwing dump offs doesn't count. I think the only thing, Pro, like the reason why you can really see a maybe a big jump in just Clay Millen or the offense in general is because their offensive line can't possibly be as bad as it was, and they don't play Michigan. So there's one game where there's <laughs> you're not going to score seven points. They, they might it. get to twenty points a game this year, is what you're saying. I think. But the you community... remember when Norville was at Nevada? It took him a couple of years to really get going. You know, I, yeah. I was not big on Colorado State last year, and I know we're jumping tracks a little bit, but I think that's. You know, the point of the conversation is sometimes when the offense changes, new coordinator comes in and you kind of starting in from scratch. Sometimes it's just not pick up where you left off. It takes a couple of years uh, to get there. As a matter of fact, I think Western Kentucky two years ago was the reason why we sometimes jump ahead of ourselves because to mm-hmm. me, they were the anomaly. Um, I, they, you don't see many systems that come in and just all of a sudden pick up where they left off on the other, you know, in a different city and then just explode. And I think Western Kentucky's made us, it's kind of made us want to scratch that itch when it comes to systems relocating. Um, but I can see Colorado State definitely being better in that offense this year. Speaking about that, since we get a little Mountain West plug a little early, maybe you yeah. guys are going to go. Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think you, it's a good point, though. I mean, Washington State kind of, Correct. at least from a fantasy aspect, kind of did the same thing. Texas Tech wasn't as like as as uh, obvious or like maybe as like 
big of a change or lack of change. But yeah, I think that's certainly a good point. And uh, maybe an episode for the future of what are these offenses that are, who's most likely to, to beat that kind of um, thought, but we brought up Western Kentucky. I feel like every major fantasy player in this conference is in this town. If Bowling Green, yeah, they had to wait at least halfway through the show. So I think everybody agrees Austin Reed is incredible, top three to five quarterback. And then you have Corley, a top two receiver. Like, who's the receiver two for you, Joe? Because I think looking at their their like their season stats from last year, it's like the receiver two is going to have a great year. The receiver three is going to have a good year. So who are these other guys that we should be targeting? Well, right now we've got Dalvin Smith at wide receiver two, right? He caught 35 passes last year. <clears throat> four touchdowns and we've got Michael Matheson up there too. Now what's interesting is Matheson caught 52 passes last year. He caught, you know, 20, almost 20 passes more than Dalvin Smith, but it just becomes more of a position. You have Corley in there and then you've got Dalvin Smith now sliding in. You're still going to have Matheson there. Those are the three that I think we really are targeting in most drafts. Now, This is what makes Western Kentucky such an interesting target. Their players a target this year is that I mentioned earlier in the show that, man, when you look at that Western Kentucky schedule and Andrew, to your point, aside from maybe two matchups, which I believe were Ohio state and Troy two road games back to back at the beginning of the year, they should be able to run through most of this conference, right? And so I think what you're up against now is, and, and this is something Mike and I joked about when we were doing our show, you're really hoping that Western Kentucky's defense is not that good this year <laughs> because they brought in guys like Zevion Capers and Jimmy Holiday. You've got Matheson there. Um, they have some depth at receiver. And the last thing you want now is for Western Kentucky to be up 30 eight to seven in the fourth quarter and they start subbing substituting all of these guys out so i think the the biggest your biggest friend if you're a western kentucky owner this year is hopefully a poor western kentucky defense so that offense stays on the field so i think you're going to have corley's going to get his numbers right you've got davis there you've got matheson there it's hard to think that they're not going to at least mirror or come close to what the wide receiver twos and threes did last year But if Western Kentucky is like a racehorse and they're getting 20 lengths ahead, what you worry about is a lot of rotation in there later in the game. And for me, if I'm investing in Western Kentucky, that's the one thing that I don't want. So I'm hoping Western Kentucky's defense uh, may have regression versus their offense. Does does that give you pause on Corley as like a receiver one or receiver two? Or do you think he's just going to get his and that's how they get to 38? No, I think that's how they get there. It's hard to – I think – did he catch 101 passes last year? I, I forget what the number was. Uh, but I think he, I think he might have hit triple digits last year. I'm not sure. But between him and Reed, they're going to get their numbers. I think really where we get more into a fine line balancing act, trying to figure out this, this equation is how does Western Kentucky's offense translate, you know, if they're out up 28, nothing in, in the second quarter on a, on a Sam Houston state or a Jacksonville state, right? I'm worried more about rotation later in games. And I have more of a concern for the Mathesons and the Davises than I do necessarily about Malachi Corley. 
Yeah, it's fair. Portly was a great call by you guys last year. Um, I I conflate sometimes or feel unable to bucket between when we have an offensive system that we like and there's a ton of production vacated. When we're assuming next guy up, are we just kind of grasping based on previous year's production? Or do we actually have more to go off about when about picking from the masses who is likely to ascend? And sometimes I feel really good um, about like uh, fading the guy that the, uh, the people generally feel is going to move into that uh, wide receiver one role. And then other times I'm a little more on the fence. But I, I remember Mike taking Corley super high and like the, the one of the first best balls we did. And I was like, he's just picking one guy out of uh, like out, out of the bag and hoping that guy hits. There's no way that that that, that that's going to happen. And that worked out really well for me. Uh, but yeah, good on you guys uh, nailing that one last year. Yeah, I mean, he to be to be fair to you, Andrew, or to us for not taking Corley. Mike took Corley and still <laughs> didn't win many if any of those championships. <laughs> so I mean, you're getting a hundred catches in round five to ten. What what do you do with your other picks? Is my question. So yeah, well here you know here's something to you know and and add a little bit more context to what i mentioned about receivers um you know on a scale of one to ten malachi corley my confidence in level in him's nine and a half to ten right but when it comes to dalvin smith and michael matheson uh who's to say you know capers or holiday isn't going to come in there and have an impact now here's the one thing that i tried to pay attention to and i think in all of the years that i have been creating content for college fantasy football the one thing that I have always paid attention to that seems to translate well to fall success is chemistry between a quarterback and a receiver in the spring. Really good chemistry when you read a lot of good practice reports, scrimmage reports. Um, that seems to favor the receiver where, hey, we do not have a lot of a long history or a, a, you know, a, a large sample size. To that point, Dalvin Smith seemed to be re doing really well and got a lot of notoriety and pub in the spring. Um, that's why, if I were, you know, I would, I would say my confidence level on him is, is you know, more than lukewarm, uh, which where it probably was at the beginning of spring, and it's something that I pay attention to a lot in the spring is the chemistry with new quarterbacks. I'll use the same example, different conference, John Paul Richardson over at TCU, right? Tremendous spring. Will he be that wide receiver one? Not sure, but man, that chemistry that he had in the spring. Um, I don't know how you don't at least put him on your radar for the fall. Right. And, and Dalvin Smith had a little bit of that in the spring. I, I agree. Everything that um, I saw as well. Not that there's a ton in the way of Western Kentucky right. uh, reports, yeah, but it all seems really good. And he closed so like he looked awesome in the bowl game too. Like I, I'm, I'm totally in on Dalvin Smith. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll play, I'll play devil's advocate on that too because here's something that I think happens a ton, and I'm just going to call it out, and and it is what it is. 
all of us follow these beat reporters for every team. And when they release these depth charts, they never want to put the new transfer as the starter because it's almost like they're scared to put the new guy up there because they've been following this team for a couple of years. They're not just going to make this transfer the starter on their depth chart right away. And sometimes I think some of the beat reporters and, and, and the reporters that follow these teams are a little hesitant to acknowledge the fact there's reasons why these transfers come in. And sometimes we put too much stock into depth chart projection post-spring as opposed to using what we know from a ta talent level of what we've seen from certain guys and saying, no, look, I, I know this guy doesn't have this guy pegged in as a starter yet, but there's a reason they brought this guy in too. So there's I can, I can make both sides of this argument, and I think it's all case by case based on the program. I think the biggest question mark for Dalvin is, does he retain tight end eligibility? That is like the Froton has talked about it with Gadsden and I don't, we don't need to dig into this again, but I, that'll be super interesting because if he retains tight end eligibility, he could be the receiver three in that offense. He could be the receiver two and the defense could be amazing. And they're spreading it out because he's just going to be a piece of that 38 to 45 points a game they scored even before blowout. So well, can, can, can I, can I touch on this? Cause now, now we're getting into, Did I just fire up my trigger. Now we're getting into my that. trigger points. Now, now you're triggering me a little bit. This is the stuff that triggers me. Why do we have to have leagues where commission, like, come on, let's use common sense on some of this stuff. Why is Dalvin Smith? Why does he even have tight end eligibility in leagues? Why aren't we doing something about that as commissioners? I look, I don't know. That's just one of my soft points. I am not a big fan of just wherever the system labels you, that's where he drafted. I think you've got to come together as a league and, and really agree on some common sense stuff here. Yeah, I, in terms of rules, as I think that it makes uh, a ton of sense to figure out a good rule for everybody before drafts start, and that way you're all playing on the same level playing field. We do these 12 championship series drafts, and tight end is as important as anything, right? And if a rule was to be changed at the time that Gadsden gained tight end eligibility, that would have just caused some craziness. And it would have been unfair to people that drafted him beforehand because they were drafting with potential ideas in mind. But no doubt. anyways, uh, a team that's maybe not as uh, controversial, same Houston State. Actually, maybe it is a little controversial. Andrew, you put down for your notes. I don't know. Didn't they redshirt like their whole team last year so the good players would be here in 2023? And I feel like I remember hearing that. Yeah, you probably heard it from me. But then I feel like someone else kind of shot that down. But I know I know pretty much nothing outside this team, outside of your boy Grant Cannell uh, transferred in there. Um, right. But I'm I'm ready to be informed because I know nothing. Joe, in your research of Sam look, Houston State, I, look, did you recover I, I anything there? I can't say that I'm going to be able to add another layer to this cake on and make <laughs> it make it look, you know, really like a, a celebration here. The, I'll, I'll mention a couple of things, and that is we know that Grant Gannell was brought in. I mean, if his goal is to kind of make it through all, you know, a third of the FBS teams before graduation, then then he's on his way there. But we do know that the OC does like to run the quarterback a little bit, right? Sam Houston, I think they they changed their, their coordinators up um, again after not a lot of success last year. So if the point was that a lot of players were kind of holding out for this year um, – it stinks because it, it may have cost someone his job that, that that really happened. But 
What we do know is that the OC does like to move around the quarterback a little bit, which will be interesting to see what they do with Grant Gannell. The, you know, you had John Gentry there at running back. I could be, I could be mistaken. Is Gentry a former Utah State yeah. player? That okay, we got him there. Yeah. yeah, okay, I remember him. And then the most intriguing option, I took him in our first best ball draft in May that we were doing over at the CFF site. I think I took him with my last pick. It's just the receiver, Ify Adeyi. Um, he's the brother of the running back that's at North Texas. Uh, so you guys may be familiar with that a day. I think it may be a do a day. Um, but he's more of an intriguing option. He had a, a good year two seasons ago. And, you know, when you look at this conference and, and I'm just kind of, you know, browsing the teams again, FIU, Jacksonville state, um, New Mexico state, Sam Houston, Utah, West Kentucky, middle Tennessee, Louisiana tech Liberty. You know, if this, if this conference is really just devoid of defensive, good, solid defensive teams, why wouldn't Sam Houston State not be playing from behind and chunking it around a little bit? And if so, you know, I'll take some shares late of an iffy a day and, and hope that Sam Houston State is just scratching and clawing from behind for two-thirds, three-quarters of the year. And, you know, maybe that translates to an extra two or three catches a game for this guy. So – um, not a, necessarily a deep dive there. And, you know, when you're talking these teams, there's not going to be a ton of fantasy appeal, right? Everybody wants to new, wants to know who's the, the, you know, the new shiny toy, shiny new penny, uh, the shiny new toy in the toolbox. Um, and there's a lot of people that are ready to jump on those type players, but I'm not so fast. I, I I'm the guy that usually box, uh, at new systems, sometimes relocating. I balk at the new programs coming in and trying to find the best guy. But if there's value in one player, uh, that's the guy that I'm actually looking at right now. You got to give yourself some place. credit. What's that? that? Real quick, Andrew, you got to give yourself some credit, Joe, because you just you said, "Oh, I didn't give you a deep dive." You told us the receiver one's brother is uh, <laughs> running back for North Texas, which it's uh, Ao, not a, a Doe. But we'll give you okay. credit for that one. That's it. Okay. That is a job well done. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, Andrew, I cut you off. There you go. No, you're good. Um, these DFS slates are going to be so ugly in October. Like, obviously, we're going to play. Um, but I, without looking at the schedule and just off top of head, I feel like, again, the idea is basically about, like, all of Conference USA is basically playing mid midweek uh, during October, which – like it, it, it's probably just going to amount to like, are you, you trying to jam every Western Kentucky player in, or are you like that's going to make or break the slate kind of deal? So that that's that's exciting because that stuff's kind of annoying when DFS just boils down to like that one kind of thing. Um, but the, I forgot I do have uh, it's not really a nugget, it's not like a deep dive type deal for this team. But I was looking over the the JUCO rankings uh, the other day, uh, and they have they they brought in a top fifty JUCO re- recruiter wide receiver. Some dude, I feel like his name's like Laquin Tavius Washington, 6'6, 210. No idea if he's good, uh, but it was surprising to see them get a, like a top 50 overall Juco recruit at wide receiver. What I'm learning here today is that there's a ton of potential. We just need a little bit more clarity uh, mm-hmm. on who maybe the receiver one or the RB one is, uh, and also like how effective the offense might be. Be like we don't really know what Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State right. are going to be, but there are some signs to some positive trends here. So I feel like the this conference will be a really big one for 
redraft and dynasty where week two, week three, you get a couple weeks of games in, you see some performances, who's actually starting and getting snaps. And then because the season's only going to get easier with what Joe's mentioned, a really horrible defensive conference, some really potential uh, CFF assets. So at least we're throwing around some names. Um, you know, one team that I really, really like and goes really, really well with this conference in terms of, well, they're probably not all that great, but the conference is so bad is New Mexico state. Like, is it possible that Diego Pavea is just absolutely incredible? Like we saw how good he was at the end of last year and albeit it was against bad competition, like Valparaiso, but like, it's not like the competition is that much better in 2023. Right. Well, here's the thing for me. When I look at that New Mexico State offense, like, for, first of all, the, the job that Jerry Kill did over at that program is phenomenal, right? Because to, to turn New Mexico State around, uh, that was quite an accomplishment. Pavia feels like, to me, one of those guys I'm kind of taking late best ball draft if I need a quarterback four or five that I'm not comfortable with my starters. Or... Maybe I'm using him on some type of a week-to-week basis in a more traditional format. When I look at their roster and I, I, you know, I take into account that offense, you've got Diego Pavia and you've got two running back options in Star Thomas and Jamani Jones. And I feel like for me, that's the offense. I feel like a third of fantasy points could come from those three guys on a, you know, those three guys could hover around 30% fantasy point share of their offensive production week to week. You know, maybe a, a receiver pops, but it, I just, it, I say this every year and I may as well, I've, I've recorded two shows and I haven't said it yet. So here we go. Um, we love college fantasy football for the potential that a guy's going to give us 250 yards, 300 yards and four or five touchdowns. And Diego Pavia for me just feels a little bit more, he just feels a little bit more safe and doesn't really feel like one of those high ceiling type players. So there's value there, but I think it depends on the format and where you're really taking them. But look, I could be wrong, man. Kay, you want to take him in every best ball draft? I welcome you to go ahead and roster him, man. Did I saw him? Yeah, I've been trying to get better about what you just mentioned in the context of like I have a habit of kind of gravitating sometimes toward the these guys, these quarterbacks in pass happy offenses that just are going to do absolutely nothing with their legs, just because I'm like, oh, he's going to sling it all over. I like the arm talent. I like the receivers. I like the system. Let's go. And like I did that with JT Daniels last year, Clay Millen last year, and the we it's one thing to talk about how much we need uh, running backs that also or quarterbacks that also use their legs and all these other criteria, but then in practice to hold yourself to it, I think is another thing. Um, so I'm trying to be better about that uh, this year in drafts uh, with some success. I still kind of have to t- take my guys and like scratch that itch a little bit, but Pavia, I, I don't know if I, I that's like, I think there's a lot of ways it can go wrong. Right. Um, like can be, for one, they brought in uh, that dude Sowers to compete to some extent and from Texas A&M uh, it sounds like it's still Pavia's show, but you, you wonder how long the leash is. The dude has showed that he's not exactly durable. They also have that, uh, that dude who Gavin Frake is the, the kid who was a Princeton commit. Like if this guy could have had a Princeton education, 
<laughs> and it was like, you know what? Fuck it. Las Cruces. Let's fucking go. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I, between injury, competition, you like, and overall, just like playing at New Mexico State, like you, you could see ways it could go wrong. But at the same time, like how you mentioned, Chris, like we've seen like the dude threw for like six touchdowns and a half one game and closed really strong down the stretch. And they, they run him a lot, it feels like. Like he went outside of like, I think you were kind of talking this a little bit, Joe. Like it feels like it's very much running back and wide receiver by committee. Like it's Pavia. And then, okay, everyone else is just going to have to, no one else is going to really get a ton of touches to themselves. Um, so that like that it, it felt like they were running him a lot uh, last year. And if he can make it uh, work with his arm as well, I could see him putting up some big games, but you could also see it just totally busting. And like by week three, we look back and it's like, what was I thinking there? Well, yeah, well, I mean, look, here's something to, to keep in mind too. And I, you know, I, I do look, you look at the second half of the year, two, four, last six games, he threw all 13 touchdown passes in the last six games of the year, right? So like, okay, you know, it, does he have potential to throw for 20? Four of those touchdown passes were against Valparaiso in a 65-3 win, right? And the, the other three, and look, I, I hate to say this, but, you know, it is what it is because I, I could go on this rant about bowl games too. That was a 49-14 whipping. He threw three touchdown passes on the road at Liberty. Kind of the day that Liberty knew that you Freeze was leaving. Um, you know, and it just felt like that, that game was like, almost like Liberty didn't even show up. Um, cause there's no way Liberty is 49, 14 worse than New Mexico state. So you take into account that seven of those. So, you know, to your point, could the bottom fall out? I don't know. I think it leads us to the, um, the quintessential decision-making that we have to do, that we do from an analysis standpoint for college fantasy football, and that's this. Because Mike and I talk about a bunch of players sometimes, and maybe Pavia is one of these guys for some, for some, right? Where you really like, you've got a good sample size of what he's done, and you really think this player can be good. But what's the downside if the bottom falls out? And the question is, can I find at least equivalent value to him that's near his upside, that's a little bit safer, that has potential to surpass his upside with a little bit more of a safer floor? And I think that's the debate we get at with a lot of players when we're comparing player A and player B, and that is, sure, Pavia's good. He had a small sample size that's really good. Um, but is he really capable of blowing the roof off? In my opinion, probably not. Is there a potential to your point, Andrew? Maybe he gets hurt. Maybe there's some depth. Maybe he has a bad game. Couple of fumbles gets pulled. And then all of a sudden you're looking at a player that doesn't start a play in more than three or four games. Is there another player out there that's safer that offers at least what he gives me as far as value could outperform it and maybe has a little bit more of a secure floor. So, you know, when we're comparing players in college fantasy football, that's ultimately the algorithm that we're trying to figure out. I think you guys both make valid points, but you're incorrect. But uh, no, I think the, uh, the injury side of things 100% is valid. We saw it last year. He got banged up. What felt like every game. Like if you look at Fracas. He played in like eight or 10 games, something like that. So 
tons of different uh, – they just use him so much on the ground that he can be hurt. But I think the big thing that I really, really like is that he is like a bowling ball. Uh, he looks like the New Mexico State logo if he was 40. <laughs> okay, like he's growing into that logo 100%. His, his change of schedule is, is like Kent State-esque. They went at Minnesota, they played at Wisconsin, they played at Missouri, and I think their other non-conference was Nevada to start the year, which is not a – I mean, that's not really that difficult, but, like, if that's your easiest non-conference opponent, that's a tough uh, – Well, last year they were independent, sir. Well, there you go. This year, that non-conference <laughs> is UMass, Western Illinois, uh, Auburn, Brutal, yeah. And I think the other one is New Mexico. So that's a that's a crazy easy non-conference besides Auburn at the end of the year. Championship weekends, Jacksonville State. We've talked about how bad the defenses are. So that's how I kind of view it. And he's basically free. I mean, I, I don't know if he's being taken in every draft if I'm not taking him. So only a few teams left. FIU, Louisiana Tech. We'll let you pick one, Joe. Which one? More you know, let's go with FIU because I'd like to end with Louisiana Tech. I've been kind of itching to get to those guys, so let's let's get FIU, I guess, out of the way. Let's get them out of the way. Yeah, there you go. In my opinion, there's there's not a lot to talk about right there. It's you know we didn't get a lot from them last year. Uh, don't see a lot of value in them this year. I will you know give a shout out to Mike. You know he does like Josiah Miaman at tight end. He you know I think last year the FIU tight end had some value there, but I'm not really seeing a lot of improvements or at least potential improvements from this offense. And so FIU for me still feels kind of, uh, even with that David Yost offense, I, I just, I'm searching around that roster and I just don't feel much coming out of that FIU team. They started like five quarterbacks last year. I felt like they kept dropping like flies uh, throughout the entire year. And like, weirdly, it felt like once they got down to like fourth or fifth string, things got better. If I recall correctly, <laughs> not necessarily for my boy Tyrese Chambers, but for right. the offense at, at, at large. Um, yeah, I had no notes about uh, about this team. Uh, I don't know. Like, well, so basically, weird. basically, you t- you know, you you landed at the same conclusion I did, but saved a hell of a lot more time. Right. Right. It- it's it's always not a good thing when your best player, Lexington Joseph, right is not going to play the full season, right? Because didn't he tear his ACL? He's already been ruled essentially out for the season. So I feel like Grayson James will have like three fancy, uh, three games of 30 fancy points, and then he'll go for like eight to 12 for every single other game. So, well, you know, it's just, you know, here's the thing. We, we just, it, it's all about equity with these conference shows, right? We've got to at least give FIU their three to five minutes, or, you know, you feel like, and that's, you know, that's the tough part about being content creators for college fantasy football. It is what it is, guys, right? Like we there, you have to touch upon every team. You feel like you're inclined to do so. But there's just some that none of us are really going to touch. And let's be honest, it might be four or five weeks. Who's to say? Maybe, you know, this is the perfect team where you look at and you say, okay, these guys are not on my radar but if you play in a traditional college fantasy football format, there's nothing to suggest there that there, you know, Hey, look, there's nothing to suggest that there won't be an option at some point during the year on this 
on this roster. You may have to hit the waiver wire. It may be four or five weeks into the season, but this is one of those teams where traditional formats, the value is going to be realized during the season. And in best ball formats, nobody's willing to take a chance and dip their toe in that water. Well, we don't have to. I, I don't know if you listened to the ACC preview, but uh, Andrew got caught a lot of flack for not talking about Syracuse. And my favorite part about it was he had made mention of like, well, we only have two teams left. And they talked about the two teams. And then he realized he missed another. And it was like, well, all right, well, we're done here, guys. But uh, it just goes to show you where he's prioritizing his fantasy targets, right? Like, obviously, Gadsden's not, you know, he's not high value for him, right? <laughs> Which, you know, we can get in another debate on this premium tight end stuff, which, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of. And Gadsden now going in in the first round of some fantasy. I'm just <laughs> look, I, I'm not a new. I don't know. Don't don't get me started. We, we've evolved this FIU conversation now to uh, tight end premium type drafts. And we don't want to take it there. We still got Louisiana Tech to go. You brought up, but you brought you brought up that guy that that tight end I never heard of. So maybe we'll have to start taking him in tight end premium leagues. <laughs> Louisiana Who's Tech. That, Josiah Miaman? Yeah, yeah, him. Okay. So uh, Louisiana Tech, I think, would we all agree, is the second most appealing offense in this conference? For me, they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Is it uh, because we're just huge fans of Hank Bachmeyer or the scheme? Or, or what? You, what what's your uh, lean, Joe? I, you know, look. Quite the contrary. I don't necessarily love Hank Backmeyer, obviously the, the Boise State transfer. But what I like about Louisiana Tech, and 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 here's, you know, this is, matter of fact, our first best ball draft that we've had, I, I took um, Cyrus Allen, the receiver, and I took the running back, Marquise Crosby, right? Crosby's the one that I really think could be a little under the radar right now and could creep up in drafts as we get a little bit closer to the season. You're looking at a freshman back, right? Let me do this. Let's see where he's at. 5'10, 201. Great size. 183 carries in a 12 game schedule last year, 918 yards. He averaged five yards a pop and scored nine touchdowns. Now, they brought in Craig Williams from Baylor. So I think that gives you. A little bit of a reason to to pause, right? But you know they're bringing in guys from depth uh, for depth reasons. Obviously, you know you would hope so. But you're looking at this 5'10", 200 pound freshman running back, touched the ball 183 times, almost eclipsed the thousand yard mark, nine touchdowns as a true freshman. I think there's a lot of promise in him going into this year because Louisiana Tech. Look, it's Hank Backmeyer, but he is a far far upgrade compared to what they had last year you had parker the uh, parker mcneil landry liddy matthew downing jack turner they had i mean heck even the, even the kicker threw two passes right? so i mean they had at one time four quarterbacks last year so they're upgrading at quarterback and in turn it makes the offense you would think better and more efficient and so I just think Marquise Crosby has potential this year if he's going to get the, the 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 volume share that he got last year in a better team, better offense, and quite, quite honestly, some weaker defenses in this conference now has a chance for 200-plus carries, 1,000 yards, and double-digit touchdowns. And then quite simply, really on the receiver side, 
all I'm really doing is basically plug and play Cyrus Allen, a six foot, 180 pound, you know, freshman last year was the third leading team on that offense with 22 catches in 10 games. He averaged 22 yards a catch and scored four touchdowns. So he's got big play potential. Trey Harris has gone over to Ole Miss. So his 65 catches, 900 yards, and 10 touchdowns are gone. He probably slides in that Harris role, and you've got Smoke Harris that's still in there in that slot role. Probably safe bet to give you 60 to 65 catches. You know, probably average about 10 yards a catch and probably give you somewhere around five, six touchdowns. So there's at least three to four decent options depending on the depth that you play um, you know, the, the league that you play in the depth of teams that you play with in your format. So, yeah, I, um, I, I don't know why, I, but I, I cool. I tried to grab Crosby in every single league after he blew up pretty early on last year. And then I feel like he was so hit or miss and didn't necessarily pay off the huge wage waiver budgets that I burned on him that I kind of just, my sentiment on him has probably unfairly cooled uh, since then. Um, you could see, right, I mean, he, he had multiple big games throughout the year. The offense is exciting. I thought it, like, it, it was a very commendable job by uh, who's their, their coach. It's Sonny, Sonny, Sonny Cumbie, Cumbie. right? Yeah. yeah, I thought it was a very commendable job how well the offense performed given how questionable the quarterback situation was going yeah. into last year. They, they made it work. I would have loved to see Landry Liddy stay there. Uh, given his pedigree and how he, I mean, he didn't blow up his freshman year, but it like I thought he quitted himself well, but now he's gone to UIB, so whatever. Um, but yeah, the offense is exciting. I mean, no, like, why won't they be, be better in year two after being extremely usable at different, um, at different positions throughout the progression of the 2022 season? Yep, they look. I think the the nice thing about them is they come at low cost. It feels like in all these different drafts. I don't know. I know Mike's all over them, um, and some di mm -hmm. uh, different people are over some of these guys. Specifically, Allen, who you called out, Joe. I think Smoke Harris. Like in theory, I think people will be like, "Oh, he's the next man up." But you nailed it, Joe. I think just positionally, he doesn't have that fit for the offense. But is a very like a he's got a pretty decent floor. I mean, he's going to be a very safe option at the end of drafts if you want to maybe take a just to stab at him, just to kind of fill in maybe a, a sketchier receiver room. But Crosby has like, it feels like Crosby has the talent to just have an insane season. Like he has that potential upside. So we'll just see if it, if he's just, well, you know, he, he does. And a lot of it's going to be based on the opposition too. We mentioned we've got conference, but you know, last year uh, when I'm looking at him, they played at Missouri, the, the game at UAB is not tough, but when you look at, his numbers from last year, three games that he got at least 20 carries. He went over the century mark in every one of those games. And when you, you know, you look at two other games, he got at least 16 carries. He ran for 197. That was against Stephen F. Austin. And he ran for 72 against UAB with a touchdown when he got 18 carries. So his numbers suggest that if they do are able to get him the ball, he's going to put up some numbers. And that's why I just mentioned, you know, Louisiana Tech was a team last year that, man, look, Mike and I were sitting in our offices for two months straight wondering when Louisiana Tech was just going to go out and get their quarterback out the transfer portal. It never happened. And to your point, Andrew, I quite pleasantly surprised a little bit with how well they did perform at times, given that 
they just weren't quite there at the position. And you just wonder if Hank Backmeyer comes in, just offers a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more stability, a little bit more continuity. And if that offense is able to kind of level up a little bit and, and maybe get out ahead on some teams this year, as opposed from playing behind often, then, then Crosby could be, you know, a tremendous value. So that wraps this up. Shockingly, we uh, hit on all the teams. There was only nine, which helped. <laughs> uh, so, Andrew, you didn't do it with the ACC. Do, do we want to do what we're most confident in, the one thing? Yeah, and of course, I totally planned on it. But uh, a- after franchise uh, co-op or just co-op at the, the ending of the show, I mean, I had to let him just do his thing. All um, right. So, Andrew, who is, regarding this conference, what is, who is or what is the number one thing you're most confident in? think i would have actually thought about it going but <laughs> i did not even know I, I love the question and it just comes from a place of so much uncertainty being generally like the, the landscape that we navigate and one of the reasons that makes college football so much fun um i will say that tyron smith is the number two receiver in the conference overall from a fancy points perspective okay joe what about you what's in your head what do you got what am I most confident about? I, you know, I'll say the most thing that I, the, the thing that I'm most confident about is that Western Kentucky is by far the best team in this conference. Um, but if there's another thing that I'm most confident about is that there is a lot of unknown fantasy potential in this conference that we probably won't be able to unearth a little bit until we're two or three weeks into the into the season. Yeah, I, I like both of those. I, I would say I've had Corley as my number one receiver overall. That feels like a little bit of a cop out. A cop out. So I will say I'm very, very confident that Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State provide us really nobody of worthiness in uh, season-long formats this year. But I think Joe's point to transitions and adjustment periods, we might see something later on. But for this season, we're getting nothing out of those two teams. So. Joe, one final plug for uh, the CFF site. Tell people where they can check you out, check Mike out, the site, your work, uh, and we'll roll out. Well, look, guys, I have this background right here that kind of says everything you need to know, right? So we've got all the preseason content covered. We've got, and look, the one thing that we didn't touch on is the one thing that I'll just plug here at the end. Not only do we have all college fantasy football preseason content covered, But Mike does a tremendous job during the season with his DFS write-ups. He's got almost every slate. He does a ton of slates. I would say he does about 85% of the slates throughout the year, 85 to 90% for the DFS content. And all of the preseason projections are live. And we will have the the projections as well in season two. So for all of your DFS guys, we don't want to ignore you as well. I know this is going out in masses to the college fantasy crowd. And like I said, 10 years doing the guide. And quite honestly, all of the college fantasy football community is the reason why we've been able to grow a little bit each and every year. And to Andrew's point, one of the more fun places to be, if you like talking college fantasy football, is in the CFF site Discord. So come on over, grab an All-American or Heisman membership. Love to have you in. We appreciate every follower subscription that we get. And I want to thank you guys for having me on here. It's nice to go on a show sometimes and be thrown the questions as opposed to moderating it and leading it. Um, I need to talk my man Mike into leading a show here or there, but he doesn't want to (laughs) to put that hat on yet. So um, I I love to just sit back 
and kind of talk about college fantasy football without worrying about the agenda. So, Chris, thank you for 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 kind of teeing me up a little bit. And and Andrew, always always fun to have you know and talk to both of you guys. This yeah. is great, man. Thanks for coming awesome. on. Yeah, appreciate you hopping on. This has been fun. I think each week we just have a different level of entertainment and enjoyment with the different guests. And you know, for a while we didn't have guests on. Uh, but it's just made a ton of sense to do it. There's so many good minds out there that can help uh, the different audiences and, and provide some knowledge. So we appreciate you hopping on and uh, your work at CFF site with Mike. And Anytime, man. Anytime. Yeah. The biggest problem I have is hitting the stop button. So um, you know, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, got another 45 minutes, you know. So, yeah, uh, this is one of our longer ones. No, we like to again. keep it around appreciate an hour, it, but it is, is packed with uh, some fun conversation and some good info. And Hope everybody enjoyed the episode. I don't know if Andrew's playing out the next conference, uh, but it'll be a good one. We'll have another guest and uh, we'll talk to you guys then. See you guys.